Right. Um, could I just um, a quick follow up uh, on, on, on a slightly different tangent, um, uh, and that one of ethnicity. Of ethnicity. Um, uh, Tanzania has been built um, across the region as sort of a model um, state that where Nyerere really built an ethos of nationalism of people seeing themselves first as Tanzanians and then um, uh, in their various uh, ethnic groups. Do you think is this true is this um, uh, accurate? And what can the rest of us, uh, because lots of the other, if you look at uh, Ethiopia, Somalia, even though it's um, uh, uh, said to be homogeneous, it's still really driven by clan differences and politics is structured along this idea of identity. Um, uh, uh, Kenya is probably the premier example of this in the region. Do you think there's a lot, lots that we can learn from how Tanzanian politics is structured in order to improve how we approach elections? Uh, yes, I think you, there is a lot to learn, um, a lot of lessons to learn. So what happened um, with respect to Tanzanian politics is that uh, CCM has, had always believed in diversity. So what you saw, um, at least tribal representation, um, within the structures of power. So you, you would always see diversity. Um, presidents would always think very carefully about um, the cabinet and how many people, uh, how many ministers, repre the, the, the representation of the regional representation within cabinet. That was carefully thought out by presidents. Unfortunately, so, so that's the positive lesson to learn. Um, uh, and it's, it, it was always on the forefront of presidents, uh, as far as I'm concerned, on how to, to, to have diversity within cabinet. And it's essential that there is diversity within cabinet if we take cognizance of the fact that we are still very much a society which is um, founded on tribalism. Now, what happened during the Magufuli era is that we saw uh, a, a shift in, in uh, in the manner in which he, 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 he saw Tanzania. And he, he put in, into positions of power a lot of people from his tribe, which is the Sukumak tribe. And this has caused, um, it has caused tensions in Tanzania. In fact, um, um, I believe that the Sukuma people or the Sukuma tribe comprise about 10 to 15% of the population in Tanzania. Uh, uh, we have over 120 tribes. So it's a significant tribe if you take into consideration that we have in excess of 120 tribes. But there have been a lot of complaints uh, about the uh, positioning of the Sukuma people in, 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 uh, in cabinet, in uh, parliament. So we have, for example, you know, um, representatives, uh, MPs who are Sukuma and they're representing the coast you know, uh, so there, there has been a, a, dis, a disbalancing, an imbalance of this very cleverly put together uh, concept of diversity. And that has impacted uh, the way Tanzanians view a particular tribe, which is the Sukuma tribe. And um, I think that is the, the negative lesson to learn that if you do push for uh, 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 tribal representation, which is, uh, which is not diverse, 
you will get pushback from the general population. To you, Omar, I think um, given the idea of Somalia as one of, I think it's been described as one of the only two countries in, in, in Africa that are assumed to be ethnically homogeneous, but yet seems very riven. You know, as you speak about the breakdown into clans and subclans, you know, um, in ways that lots, lots of people wonder, you know, um, if they're all the same Somalis, then how are they like in Kenya, Kikuyu's fighting laws? Are they behaving in the same in the same manner? Um, how, how does ethnicity, I think, manifest um, or work out in, in, in Somalia's uh, case? And is there a way of overcoming the sort of seemingly endless fracturing um, uh, of identity? Yeah, I mean, it's quite an interesting juxtaposition because you do have, you know, on, on the surface, you know, a, a very homogenous society in terms of ethnicity, in terms of language, in terms of religion um, and, and, and whatnot. Uh, but then at the same time, you do have a, a very pertinent clan system, um, especially that that's you know quite pertinent in politics these days. And you know that inherently, uh, you know, arises uh, or gives rise to to sort of division and, and sort of um, you know viewing everything in a zero sum mindset. You know, it, it's always about uh, you know if you look at any of the uh, reconciliation agreements that that political agreements in, in various member states and whatnot, it's always a power sharing dynamic. It's about dividing up the spoils. It's to say, okay, this clan gets the presidency, this clan gets the vice presidency, this one gets the speaker of parliament, this one gets you know the capital, state capital, whatever whatever sort of is in the pie. It's about dividing it up. It's not about co coming across some of these clan lines. And so I think that raises a wider question actually about the nature of the current Somali federal project um, and in terms of how it's organized. You know, I think there's probably three identities you could look at in, in a Somali context if you wanted to organize a system and, and, a, and a governance. And one is, you know, um, the, the um, religion, you know, Somalis are mostly Muslim and, and, and so there's a common identity there. One is this idea of, of Somalia as an ethnicity. Uh, and then the third is within this clan system. Now the problem is the first two identities, while they're a bit more pan, um, you know, reaching and whatnot, uh, they've always come under threat, or neighbors have felt them uh, under threat. So if you organize around the principle of Somali ethnicity, well, that's that's you know talking about the idea of Greater Somalia. That's an issue for Ethiopia. That's an issue for Kenya. That's even an issue for Djibouti, uh, for Somaliland. That's that's uh, you know broken away as well. Um, so, you know, it becomes, you know, what is that Somali identity? Where are the borders? Do the current borders fit into that or do they not? If you want to organize around religion, which is something that's happened in, in the past, that's also come up. Unfortunately, it's gotten intertwined with the global war on terror and whatnot. And we saw, you know, in, in, in 2006, when the Islamic Courts Union actually took over Mogadishu, you know, outside powers had a problem with that and, and, and went in there and uh, basically to uproot it. And so we've defaulted to this identity around the clan. I mean, if you look at the, the entire system is built on this 4.5 clan formula where the four big clans have an equal share and minorities clans have half a share. Uh, the, if you look at the parliament, every single one of those seats uh, is basically assigned to a subclan. So you're, you're embedding that within the overall political framework. And you know, unfortunately, I think where that gets us is that it, it's a, a point where that 
that you're constantly thinking within those terms as well, that there's very little cross-cutting incentives built into the political system. And, and so it's usually, you know, our clan has, has, has this seat, your clan, you know, uh, doesn't and, and whatnot. And so we're always having these power sharing dynamics. And I think a lot of those don't have longevity because at some point that power sharing dynamic gets, gets upset in a particular member state or whatnot, uh, usually around competitive elections. Uh, and, and then we have, you know, the whole new cycle. You know, if you look at a, at a Galmadug or a Hirshabele right now, you know, the same issues that were happening four years ago are happening now. Part of this also is the legacy of, of you know, the lack of adequate reconciliation after the, the, the um, you know, civil conflict of the 90s. There's still a lot of grievances around that and, and even before. So, so I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting question, but unfortunately, I think the way that the current system is, is organized really doesn't create those incentives to, to get beyond, you know, thinking about, about clan. Um, okay. Um, uh... Fatma, you just hold off. I know there's something you wanted to add. I just wanted to ask Adam um, about this idea of ethnicity and structuring the state around it. That's what explicitly um, uh, Ethiopia has tried to do. Do you think it has worked out for Ethiopia? Is it a better, especially now in the context of the conflict that we have now um, uh, 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 in the North? Um, uh, it, it, it seems to me that where the rest of us have sort of um, uh, valorized the idea of forming concrete national identities that subsume the ethnic ones, that um, Ethiopia has gone the opposite way. Um, what do you think has been the, the lessons and experience from that? Um, well, so uh, as you said, I think perhaps Ethiopia is the only, not the only one, but the, the main country that has organized its institutions territorially along mainly along linguistic lines. We have Burundi, uh, but it's more designed to ensure representation of different groups in parliament and in government institutions. But Ethiopia is actually organized territorially um, along, along linguistic lines. So, so we have, uh, you know, so there, there are two theories around it. The first one is that we have not implemented it. So we have, as an idea, the constitutional uh, architect, it's there. Uh, but in reality, it was never implemented. Um, so uh, the supporters of the current system, what they say is that you cannot criticize a system that was perverted, right? We have not practiced it. Um, and the, uh, those on the other side, uh, on, on the other hand, say, well, you know, we have given, a try, uh, given it a try. And what we've done is, is create essentially class of citizens. Um, you know, you have uh, the owners of a particular region and everyone else is a guest. Uh, so you have to be nice uh, to, to essentially get the, the, the benefits that the state offers. So it's, you're essentially at the mercy of, of, of the, the, the groups leading you. Um, I think that there is one thing that there is agreement on, and, and that is that as a country uh, in the last 20, 30 years, we have not invested on, on the attributes, on the challenge. You know, maybe it may not necessarily be on the attributes, but on the commonality of the challenge that people across the country face. Um, we have been obsessed with, in my opinion, ethnicity. Um, in, in, in that sense, you know, we have destroyed any sense of a, a country as, as an idea. Uh, and, and that has come back to bite us, uh, as, as we saw now um, with what is happening uh, in, in Tigray, tragically. Uh, but, but the conflicts in, in Somalia region, in Oromia, in parts of, Oro uh, in parts of Somalia and Afar region. And of course, we have problems in parts of Oromia, Ben Shangul, and, and, and most recently also in Amhara. Um, so, so 
to to be to be very brief about it, um, it is a structure uh, that is that is somehow necessary. I think we, we understand, especially today, that there's a lot of ethnic consciousness, uh, and and that has to be given some kind of institutional political expression. Um, but the the exact format, the exact uh, design of it is, is is I think where 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 the balance must be sought. That's one. And secondly, I think often in, in Ethiopia we we tend to um, uh, present the disputes uh, as inter-ethnic, as between ethnic groups. Um, and, and from from my understanding, and I have written an article about it, is that what drives inter-ethnic conflict actually is intra-ethnic competition, particularly within the biggest groups. Uh, in, in Oromia, in Amhara, and, and a little bit also in, in, in Somalia region, there are strands of thought uh, and the divisions, particularly in Oromia, are between those that accept Ethiopia uh, or the Ethiopian identity and that, that those that seek to at least either don't recognize at all or seek to adjust it, right? And then that competition, obviously, with, with, within ethnic groups then, then drives policies and the definition of other groups, right? Um, so what, I, what, I, what I'm trying to say is basically that uh, it's not always ethnic relations that define problems, it's inter-ethnic competition that then, that then leads to definitions of ethnic, ethnic relations. And it's, it's important to take that into account. All right, thanks. Um, Fatma, did you have something that you wanted to add that you raise your hand earlier? Um, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, no, I unfortunately I pressed the wrong button with respect to <laughs> it's an anonymous uh, attendee who's on, I was going to say I've answered your question on the Muslim and uh, being a woman from Zanzibar, but there is an uh, uh, there is somebody who asked a further question uh, with respect to that, um, saying, well, um, it was uh, it was basically the Christians turn uh, would that cause a problem. Well, we're a little bit fatalistic in Tanzania. It may have been the Christian's term, but you know, um, God intervened, divine intervention, we call it. And therefore it turned, it returned back to the Muslims. Next time it'll be the Christians. Uh, we're a little bit fatalistic about this and it's not going to cause a big deal or, or much problems to be honest with you because the Christian Muslim divide is, is not um, a huge issue. Uh, I, I would like to answer, though, um, the, the question that Anne has asked, uh, which is, uh, she said, um, Tanzania has a failing institutional system undermining credible elections. How can we begin to solve these problems systematically? Um, I think we could start in Tanzania with a new constitution. Omar, if, if I may, there's a question here about um, the international community and the role it plays in Somalia. I know you attached on, on, on to this. Um, uh, they asked whether the international community is neutral. Do you think um, uh, Somalia is simply a playground for uh, different interests or is there a sense in which people are trying to genuinely help the emergence of uh, uh, a legitimate a process within Somalia. Yeah, I mean, the international community is, is quite a vast term when it comes to Somalia. But, uh, you know, I think the central point we have to recognize is that everyone who's involved in Somalia has an interest. Um, and now the degree to which they pursue that interest solely or bilaterally, or, you know, whether they weave that in through multilateral uh, initiatives is, is quite different and depends on, on the country and case. 
Um, but but I think you know when we're talking about neutrality, I mean honestly, I think every every country is is a little not neutral at, at various times, you know, unneutral um, because they're pursuing um, their various dynamics. Now, unfortunately, Somalia at times hasn't been able to really prevent the competitive rivalries of external actors from playing out with the, within the country. You know, I mean, I mean, this was very, very clear when the Gulf cooperation crisis broke out a few years ago and, you know, various parts of the government were being forced or being asked to join various sides. And, um, you know, these competitive state rivalries have very much played out in the context. I think you see that regionally as well in, in Somalia between Kenya and Ethiopia as well in, in terms of the divergence maybe of objectives and dynamics at, at, at certain times. Um, and, and so Somalia does become a bit of that playground. And, and unfortunately, I think as we've seen the divisions grow over the past few years, you know, I think if you're looking at the 2017 election and interest in that to the 2021, I do think some of the divisions have grown, whether that's in the region, um, uh, beyond as well. Uh, unfortunately, that does become infused in, in, in the process. Now, it's not to say that you know, the international uh, community as the way we probably think of it in, in terms of maybe the UNSOM mission and some of the, some of the countries that support that. So it's very much, you know, almost uh, predominantly a Western view of, of Somalia. You know, they are pushing on, on elections and whatnot. Uh, but at times I think they've made some, some mistakes as well that have probably played into the incumbent's hands. Uh, so, for example, this whole idea of the one person, one vote election was going on for years. I, I think a lot of us thought that this really wasn't a realistic idea, um, but that the government was, was using this as, as a tool and whatnot. And, and so I think some in the international community got very seized on that idea as well, and it played in, in, into those hands. Um, and, and so maybe they weren't necessarily, they, they weren't trying to play a, um, a role that wasn't neutral, uh, but they also got, got a bit used within the process as well. So I think it's that constant back and forth. You know, it's not just that Somalis are always being divided by the outside, but also internally, uh, different Somali actors often seek external uh, allies and whatnot, um, and, and so kind of perpetuate those divisions and, and invite them in as well. So, so I think it's hard to say, you know, whether uh, the community has been neutral or whether, you know, at times when it's pursuing uh, dynamics that, you know, aren't, you know, so linked to bilateral interests, whether they've gotten, you know, embroiled in some local dynamics as well. Um, so, so it's a very checkered bowl, I, I'd say, at, at best. Yeah, but overall, would you say international involvement in Somalia has been positive or negative? I mean, it seems to me that um, if we go back to 2006, especially, or, and you look at, at the example of Somaliland, that um, uh, when they had indigenous processes uh, coming up, they seemed to be making quite a lot of progress, you know, as opposed to the current system, which many could, would argue that is is actually an external imposition. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so I, I don't know, what do you think? Do you think involvement has been net positive or negative? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a good chance to reflect on this question as well about um, uh, Somaliland being the only political system in the region that, that's had a, a transfer of power um, by an incumbent. Um, you know, so I, I think there's a, you know, there's a, a great academic who does a lot of work on, on, on Somalia uh, Ken Nankhaus, who always says, you know, the best governance is at the local level in, in Somalia. And I think that's very much the, the case. And so if you look at uh, Somaliland, you know, what's happened is, is there was a settlement locally, and those institutions then were able to grow over time. I mean, we're talking, you know, a generation that's passed as well, uh, were able to grow and mature. And, you know, that that's provided 
um, the system that, that, that we have now, you know, and then they're able to hold these elections and whatnot. And they'll always point to the fact that they did that with very little uh, to no outside support. Now, the approach in South Central Somalia has been different uh, because it, it's very much centered around international involvement. And I think the idea behind a federal system was to maybe merge these two tracks. So you have, you have this sort of top-down approach where you know, the international community wants a government in Somalia because they need someone to talk to and, and engage at an equal level. And also you have the problem of Al-Shabaab. So you want a government to, to build up to be able to deal with their own internal security threats so they don't become a threat outside. But then at the same time, you have uh, the federal model, which is supposed to give power um, to the regions and, and therefore kind of mitigate some of the centralization given, given you know, Somalia's history with that and, and given the you know, clan dynamics and whatnot. Uh, but I think the reality is the, the organization has been top down at every single level, whether, whether that's at the federal level in, in, in Mogadishu, but even if you go to the federal member states, there's still top down processes just within their area. You know, so if, if you look at the formation of, of, a, of a, you know, a Hirshabele or whatnot, you know, that, that was a, a, a process motivated and, and, and really imposed on, on that area. And, and so I think you see that being replicated at every level. You know, it, it's not, we're not really getting that bottom up merging where, where, you know, some of the best governance is happening. We're not really finding a good way to, to uh, integrate that into the system. And maybe that's, that's a difference when it, when it comes to looking at Somalia versus a Somaliland. Okay, um, uh, whether or not you think international involvement is net plus or net minus. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, can you get back to that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it can be a positive, uh, but but I'm not sure it's always gone that way. So again, I'll I'll point to the relationship, uh, you know, with the Gulf actors. I think that can be a very positive thing for Somalia, but it hasn't been. You know, I, okay. I'd say I think I think it's been too divisive. I think again with the international security assistance, it can be a very positive thing for Somalia. It can help get Somalia back on its feet. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we're playing into some of these contradictions by not bringing in the bottom level by playing back into the clan. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's probably a middle of the road answer at best. Yeah, I get. Uh, I mean, I know it's a bit of an unfair question because it's it's, it's always never just um, uh, one thing. You know, um, Fatma, is, is, do you want to continue with the point you were making? Well, yes, uh, I, I'll just, I'll, I think I'll just say uh, a few words on that. Uh, for us in Tanzania, at least my view is that we should proceed with an amendment, uh, a, a constitutional review process. We had already began with that. Uh, why is this important? Because um, the challenge we have with the present constitution is that the president is uh, responsible for appointing or the judges, or the judges of the Court of Appeal. Uh, he has 10 members of parliament who she or he has the right to appoint um, and appoints all the technocrats, uh, including the permanent secretaries, directors and ministries. Um, basically, the president gets to change the whole landscape of uh, public administration in Tanzania in one go. Um, not only public administration, but also um, checks and balances with respect to the judiciary and gets to appoint people, um, his people in, uh, in, in parliament. So I think 
it is essential that we remove this extensive power from the president so that we have more checks and balances. And the beginning is uh, a, a new constitution. That would be a fantastic beginning. Okay. Um, uh, am I, yeah, all right. Um, Adebe, if I may uh, uh, come to you, there's a question here about trust. And I know um, uh, we've spoken a little bit uh, uh, about it with, with regard to trusting incumbents, if, we, if I may put it that way. But um, I think thinking about it more generally and about developing trust within societies in between uh, uh, communities within societies, between individuals within, and perhaps more importantly, between government and um, uh, its, uh, its citizens. Um, what do you think, how, what, what are some of the things that we could do better, that um, uh, countries in the region could do better just to have people have more belief or more trust in, uh, uh, in the processes that they're subjected to? Um, no, thank you very much. I was actually thinking about answering that as well. Um, so it, it is fundamental. I think uh, it, you cannot have a democracy without a level of, it doesn't necessarily have to be trust, but you must respect each other. That's a minimum. So you may not, you may not trust somebody, uh, but there, there must be some level of trust, uh, some level of respect. Um, and, and trust in a sense is important also because you must trust that one party will respect the rules, at least the basic rules of engagement, right? So to that extent, trust is important. So you don't have to trust the individual as such, but you must agree that once, particularly once somebody takes power, they will be able to exercise powers that they have uh, they, that they will not try to lock you out of the democratic process once they are in, right? Uh, so in, in that sense, it's, it's very, very critical. And I think what I said earlier connects to that. For us to develop a level of respect, a level of trust that is necessary for what effectively is competition uh, between elites. You know, we have to accept that um, as, as our countries grow a little bit or as we become more conscious, as there are more educated people, we are producing more elites. And it's a contest about those elites. Everybody needs a space. And democracy essentially was designed to govern that relationship principally. You know, of course, the idea is popular sovereignty and, and all of that. But in reality, how democracy was born uh, is, is to, to find a way where elites can live to, with each other, can, uh, can, can, you know, don't have to kill each other essentially, so, so that there's, there's a competition, there's a fair process where you agree that, okay, I may lose now today now, uh, I may lose today, I may lose now, but at the same time, whoever is in power is not gonna lock me out, right? It's, a, it's an, an insurance system effectively, right? So we must recognize that our elites are expanding, that all of these people, the, the more expansive uh, elites need, they're gonna compete. You cannot avoid competition. It's gonna, it's gonna happen, it's gonna continue to happen. So what we have to find, and I think that's where democracy is valuable, is that it allows these elites to create a level of consensus where we say, okay, you know, we know that we all want power. We all want power. And you may want power for different reasons, right? I have, I have argued that, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the main motivation for people could be because they think they have good policies, but you cannot implement good policies without power, right? Uh, so self-preservation is both a means to achieve your ideas uh, but also a goal in itself, ultimately it becomes a goal. And that, that's why all, all, all the struggle. So to summarize, essentially, 
because it's an elite contest and because the elites are expanding uh, because of education, because of information, because of eco the economy, we need to create a system where these elites can at least respect each other. They don't have to, to uh, you know, they don't have to trust each other, but they must at least trust each other uh, so that whoever is in power will not will not lock everybody out. How do you do that? Um, I, I think elites must accept that, you know, the, the terrain, the, where we are now, I don't think there's there's a zero sum game uh, to peace and to democracy. There is no winner. Uh, even in Uganda, Museveni, I don't think he's a winner. I don't think anybody can sleep well killing people, uh, oppressing people, stealing. I don't think, you know, I don't think, I don't think that is winning, in, in my opinion. So essentially, there's really no, there's no, uh, what is it called? There is no um, uh, um, zero sum route, path to peace and democracy in, in, in our countries. And therefore, our elites must at least respect each other, recognize each other, uh, and, and, and agree on the rules of the game. Um, if, if I may just uh, uh, follow up on that, um, that analysis seems to me to sideline um, the people, because if it's only a competition about elites, then where is our skin in that game? You know, um, uh, and, and I wonder what you think. I mean, do you think the problem is trust within, between elites? But is, I mean, isn't the bigger problem trust of um, uh, citizens in the processes of governance that they are subjected to, that they do not think these elections have anything to do with um, their own uh, welfare. So uh, basically what democracy does is actually elites agreeing to be refereed by the people. So that, that, is, that is essential. So it is a rule, it's a game for me that elites agree to uh, so that the, the refereeship will be given to the people. And in that sense, that's where the power comes. Um, and of course, you know, as I said, um, you know, I'll be happy if democracy comes because of pressure uh, from, from our people. It's good if it, if it, can, if it can happen. Uh, but, but the reality is that our elites exercise a lot of power uh, over their constituencies. Over th That is the reality, right? And I think that's where we should start thinking about how can you change the reality? So if we can get our elites to agree, uh, quite frankly, if Kenyan elites, Ethiopian elites, Tanzanian elites, if there is some level of agreement, I think our countries will be peaceful. Um, and what democracy does, as I say, is that you know, we can agree, we can disagree on the origins of it, but once you have it, it empowers people. There's no question about it. Uh, once you have it, it empowers people. And how do you get there? And I think elites are critical in, in, in accepting democracy as the, as the fundamental rule of the game. Okay, we're coming towards the tail end of this. Um, I think we have to wrap up in about two or three minutes. So I don't know whether Omar Fatma, you want to respond to what um, uh, uh, Adem said? Uh, yes, I, I, I can, I appreciate where he's coming from. Um, and, you know, the question of balance of power. But the problem with that argument is that you then get to a point where some elites, the elite, at least in Tanzania, we have a situation where uh, CCM think they're more elite than the other elites. <laughs> <laughs> that is a problem. When you, 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 uh, that is a challenge with an argument about uh, balancing of power between elites. Then you create elite of the elite. Uh, if and I can understand uh, his his his. I appreciate his idea that uh, it is about about the balancing of power, but ultimately, I don't think 
modern day democracy. It may have been like that in, 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 in the Greco-Roman times, but mod modern day democracy is not that. Modern day democracy is really about giving the people, uh, because we have seen it is a question of one man, one vote. And we have to get away from um, this historical concept of democracy. Um, it has changed. Uh, it has changed incredibly. Uh, it has a modern view where women are included. It's very inclusive and we have to respect that. If we think democracy is just a battle between two elites or different factions within the elite uh, structures of our society, then um, we let women out of the equation, the poor, the underprivileged, and they just become um, uh, puppets that are used to gain this power and very little thought is given to their lot. And so I would like to see an understanding of uh, 21st century democracy or, or let's just say uh, 20th century demo democracy post struggles such as the anti-apartheid struggle, uh, the uh, 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 suffragette, universal suffrage struggle, it's a different democracy and we have to accept it. Omar? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, um, maybe elite agreement is, uh, at least in the Somali case, a starting point because we're not even talking about democracy still. We're still talking about indirect elections, which are by definition an elite process. You know, those, uh, there's a very select amount of people participating in that. Uh, and they're selected, you know, uh, already basis on, on the basis of basically being within that uh, elite circle. Um, but we've also seen the limitations of that, because right now we have the entire process being held up, basically because seven or six elite actors can't really get on the same page. Uh, so the leadership of, of the member states and, and the president himself. Um, and, and so I think, you know, going forward, this election in particular, I think is going to raise a lot of questions about that, you know, because right? I think the, the entire process in, in Somalia thus far has been an elite driven one in trying to get agreement amongst elites. And, and you do need that at some level, because without that, you do have, um, you know, uh, these are the actors that also have the, the greatest ability to, to return back to conflict, unfortunately, to mobilize around those dynamics. So, the, so there must be a way to appease that, but at the same time, get beyond this, because this elite dynamic also gets us stuck. In, in the process that we are right now. Um, so in the Somali case, you know, that's probably, uh, you know, two ways, you know, one by, by getting a little bit beyond just such a narrow indirect electoral cycle, but continuing to expand that. And then two, you know, focusing kind of maybe on, on, on the bottom up dynamics. So maybe, you know, there can be elections at, at the district level or, you know, increasing governance and, and good governance at those levels that bring people into the system a little bit more. And, and hopefully maybe that can, that can bubble up instead of trying to push, you know, down. Shall I throw in a word or two in the meantime? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I have to, you know, I, I, I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be seen as the elitist or apologist, uh, but I'm just trying to be pragmatic. Um, and I think we, we uh, uh, you know, uh, you, you cannot imagine democracy, obviously, without the people. Um, but how do you get there is the key. How do you uh, get to a system where everybody actually accepts democracy as the only game in town? 
Um, and uh, if we don't have elites buying into that, as, as, as Omar said, uh, they will mobilize their constituencies. And in fact, even, you know, I think what Trump did in the US is, is a good sign. He basically uh, wanted to subvert the rules. Uh, and, and, and we, you know, even in a country like that, we've seen the, the amount of damage it has caused. Um, so, so democracy is about people um, and, and democracy is about a level of respect, uh, not necessarily trust. Um, and, and often that starts with the elites. Um, and popular pressure, civil society pressure is critical in getting the elites to agree uh, to those terms. But our time is up, but I feel really bad not uh, having um, Patrick. Really, really thanks everybody for joining this. I know we are, we are running, we are wrapping up. I, I wish we had more time uh, uh, to discuss this, but I really enjoyed uh, talking to all of you. And I think we learned quite a lot about um, uh, how democracy works in the region and some of the things that we might actually do to make things better. And thanks a lot, Omar, Adem, Fatma, and uh, Kalundi, who is not here, but um, also was, was a really, um, I mean, gave some really important um, contributions. So hand it back to you, Pauline. Uh, but thank you very much again to our panelists and to attendees for spending the afternoon with us. Fatma, Omar, Adebe, thank you so much, Patrick, Asante Nisana, and uh, have a good uh, afternoon. Until next time, thank you very much. <laughs>